0: Take two thirty nine, a.k.a. Uh, this is let's see how I always forget. I had a this is a scene one. Charlie take two thirty nine. We're going to figure out a better way to do it or we're just going to keep going with the takes. Uh, this is a fun movie club take. This is a Wes Anderson rank slash just themed take before we do Asteroid City next week, along with the Flash. Um, I know that Tim has been anxiously awaiting the flash, uh, but today we're talking all about Wes Anderson. We're going to start off with a new segment that we're very excited to launch called the Spencer Marvel Minute. And we're going to get into that once we get there. We're going to go over instead of doing fave movie news and fave trailers. We're just going to do our favorite movie thing. I think that kind of makes it fun for this one is just whatever, anything movie related. If you watch something, uh, whatever you want to do, you can do that. Um, And we're going to do the fun movie club wheel reviews. We're going to talk about adaptation because I don't think we've all seen Rand, but we have all seen adaptation, Charlie Kaufman, Spike Jones, we got some comments about Spike Jones and Charlie Kaufman. Okay. And then we're going to get into our Wes Anderson rank. We're going to talk about our favorite movies of his, what he's meant to kind of the landscape of, of motion pictures, and then to round it all off. We've all prepared like a little kind of Wes Anderson film idea pitch that we think would be fun. So uh, I have mine. I'm I, I I like loosely figured it out last night, but uh we are now welcoming the Fun Movie Club back, which means it is Spencer Davis, aka Sprink Derv, Nick Fraser, and uh Tim Lee. Everyone, give him a give him a nice little hello, golf hello. clap. Woo! Nice hello. little golf clap. Okay, how are we doing? How have we been? I've
1: been I think good. Was, I feel like or, let me, yeah, let me just get into it. Favorite thing I watched this week was the Denver Nuggets winning an NBA championship.
2: <laughs> Let's go. Never thought I'd see the day. Moment.
1: We did it. We did it.
0: Uh, I love, I love saying we, when referring to the teams that I root for really makes me feel like, you know, I've been in the grid of things, getting in the huddles, getting plays off, really figuring out how to make, make sure that the team's successful.
1: Hey, so congratulations! I've been a Denver Nuggets, you, you, a Denver a Nuggets fan longer than Jamal Murray has, so
0: I feel like I am. I am I wrong in in remembering that you had like Denver Nuggets basketball shorts? You are not wrong.
1: Hell yeah! Heck yeah! Okay. I right. when I was a kid, I had a friggin' I had a I went to a game and they handed out free beach towels and Rocky signed mine and it is still hanging in my childhood bedroom love it a towel sound by super mascot rocky
0: the highest paid uh mascot in the nba
1: well deserved if you ask rocky
2: me. would not have gotten injured by conor mcgregor he would have put up a fight exactly i agree mm-hmm. yeah nick how you been
3: i've been good man um i'm really sorry tim i didn't watch the final game <laughs> I've been trying to figure out how to break it to you, but um, I watched a lot of it, and then I just couldn't that night. So, anyways, um, all you have to do is
1: watch clips of Jokic on the parade, and that's all you really need.
3: Okay, I'll check it
1: out. It was actually an ugly final game, but they won. So,
3: oh yeah, it was. All that matters. Um, Yeah, my favorite movie thing. um, I've been going back through the archives of Blank Check. Um, Shout out Spencer for drawing some of those to my attention when they used to be a star wars episode or a star wars podcast and um do you do you guys remember the com tech toy that they um they spent a lot of time talking about it but it's like from star wars the little Comtech that qui-gon jinn holds to like communicate back to the jedi council like the little tiny walkie-talkie that he has
1: lipstick looking thing
3: yeah it's super small and he's just like talking with the jedi council on it um, they made a toy back in the nineties based on that contact where you could have these little chips with characters on them. And like, you you tap the chip to the tech and it would like, it would I
1: remember that.
3: that, Yeah. I had totally forgotten about that until I was listening to the, that podcast this week. And I was just like, so I, I want to go back. I, I know I don't have it anymore, but like, I have to double check just to see if somehow I still have that toy in those com tech chips um but yeah movie magic you know <laughs> the dumbest little thing can be uh be turned into something that kids like run around with and love and they came with like um like little chains that you could like wear the chips on your your neck they're like necklaces that you could wear around so you're like walking around with like a battle droid like chip on your neck and yeah that's my favorite movie thing kind of silly but just remembering the the toys that you know you grew up with and and loved.
0: We love nostalgia. Mm-hmm. It's why we place extra weight on terrible movies. But mm-hmm. hey, movies rock. That's what we've always said here. <laughs> we, you know, we, they they've always rocked. They always will. They the
2: best things in the world. Spencer,
0: what a give us give us what a welcome back.
2: <laughs> Th- thank you, thank you. Uh, my favorite thing. I think I gotta go with uh, not because of the movie. I saw the Boogeyman this week. Ah, I saw
0: that one last week.
2: Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's fine. Pretty average, but it was the movie going experience. So I, I went, cause my mom wanted to go. I was joking earlier. She uh, loves horror movies, but is also easily offended and won't watch already movies. So it's a kind of a rough combo. Um, but boogeyman is like right in her wheelhouse. <clears throat> so me and my sister and her went, we were the only people in the theater. So we could just talk as loud as we wanted. Highly recommend that. Um, My sister fell asleep within 10 minutes and slept through the whole thing. And then uh, my mom would grab my arm and she'd be like, wait, I think this. And it was a very fun experience that really elevated a somewhat forgettable movie.
0: Yeah, it's funny that, you know, your mom kept thinking about the twists and turns because the writers didn't.
3: (laughs) They were just like,
1: burn! Burn! (laughs) <laughs>
3: yep, just a
0: just a monster uh you know there's not really a lot of intrigue but we'll give you some jump scares we'll have some some quirky direction in there so we went on a tuesday and it was filled with teenagers oh good filled with teenagers and i will tell you this they are the worst movie going audience of all time <laughs> like i and i was trying to remember with becky i was like when's the last time we got like uh a PG 13 horror film. And I think it's just been a quiet place. I can't really Mm -hmm. think of any. Um, So for that, I actually kind of liked it. Cause I was like, it's good that they've got these movies that they don't necessarily have to like lie to their parents about seeing like I did to go see paranormal activity when I was uh, 15 years (laughs) old. So uh, yeah. Um, Okay. Uh, Yeah. Hi, I'm, I'm back. This is Keeks. Uh, I'm back. My favorite movie thing is I actually have a couple things and they are me related. Um, First thing for, we entered in our 48 hour movie competition. It's called sheet talk. Um, we will get it uploaded to, so people can watch it. As soon as we find out how we did, we went to the screenings of the 48 hours. Uh, there was around 23 teams, basically get 48 hours to make a film and submit it. And then on Thursday we had two showings cause there's 23 teams. You split them up into two um, and our showing. We definitely got the best reaction. You three, I send it to y'all three so you can watch it. Um, and, like the the head of the competition was asking us questions about the ghost. Like the ghost is a great reveal when it happens, especially, you know, it's not anything crazy how you shoot it. But, um, it was cool that, like, the majority of the questions were for us. Um, I, I we definitely got like great responses. We feel really good about it. The award ceremony is on Tuesday. So we're like, Fingers quadruple crossed that we get something and we really feel really confident that we did. The second thing is, is for the short film that I've been helping produce, we start shooting on July 11th. We just got shortlisted for the first flights short film fund. And hey. uh, um, nice. which is 15 finalists that we get $10,000. If we're like one of the winners chosen Um, one of the most recent winners of the first fights, Flights film, uh, short film fund, an Irish goodbye. Does that sound familiar to any of you? It is the short that just won the Academy Mm -hmm. Award for Best Short Film this last Academy Awards. So, uh, we're like kind of freaking out because that means if we get 10 grand extra, then, uh,
2: then you're getting an Academy Award is what you're saying. Yeah. Sweet film uh, Oscar. Incoming. Yeah.
0: Correlation does equal causation. If we win this award, then we're definitely winning an Oscar. <laughs> uh, but more than anything, we get automatically entered into Oscar qualifying short film competitions if we're one of the winners. So I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means if it's top three, top five, or however, whatever it is. But uh, we had an interview with uh, the executive producer of Irish Goodbye and one of the Runners, the the coming to the programmers of the uh, first flight short film fund and uh yeah, till death we're feeling really good about it. We obviously we passed our Kickstarter goal. Um, or start filming. We uh, have just offered a part to a really to like a pretty big Utah actor. Um, I'll mention it to you guys if y'all uh want to know. But uh, cool things that in that the film wrong? world. Um, I am also we've also been trying to find the treasure. Uh, there's a Utah treasure hunt where these like rich dudes have hidden $25,000 in a treasure chest and given super vague clues in a poem to uh, hopefully help you find the money. So we're like, well, we got to find the freaking money so we can have $25,000 to help with the short as well and just have like the most expensive short film ever made um, and feel really, really nice about it. But that is that is my favorite movie thing. Um, a, a question I wanted to get into before we go into Spencer's, Mar- Spencer's Marvel Movie Minute um, is when we're looking. So I was watching Chris Duckman's Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I watched like half of it because I didn't want to get too spoiled. But he had a really great comment about film criticism. How do we feel about the landscape of film criticism right now? I will give you a background. He said that it feels like it's way too much of entertainment hosts talking about films and not enough getting into um, it's too binary. It's either this is awful or this is great and people arguing about it on the Internet. I don't know what you all
1: think. Well, I feel like Twitter movie discourse has turned into OnlyFans girls being contrarians for engagement. That's like basically sums up Twitter. Film reviews because they pay the $8 a month to have a blue check
2: mark to get seen. Twitter is not good at something.
1: Yeah, shocker.
2: Weird. It's all hot takes. I feel like if you, the key is to know where to go. Like, I think the loudest voices are the worst, right? So I tend to stay away from Twitter, YouTube, like, I, I actually like letterbox quite a bit because there's a lot of people in there who are just straight up putting their thoughts and they're not they're not trying to necessarily get attention they're just like this is what I thought and they uh, keep it reasonable as long as you're like looking at the right people mm-hmm. um but I do recognize like with the advent of the internet and film, Accessibility and being able to share your opinions like there are just so many bad opinions out there and very uh, uninformed because the hard thing about movies is like it, it does boil down like do you like it or not and you're allowed to like it or not, but the the way people back up their opinions is like painfully <laughs> like they don't watch a lot of movies. Or they're uninformed on the process, or like what they're talking about, and that's very hard to to listen to and to watch. Yeah. yeah, I
1: saw, I saw people like say that the the animation in the next Ninja Turtle movie that comes out in August is lazy animation, and it's like you just don't understand animation as like a medium, ugh. like, ugh. Like that's you can't there's not a response to that because it's so like uninformed. And they haven't even no one's seen the movie yet. Yeah, they no, said they, the they, how can lazy you say animation.
0: it looks like You haven't seen the movie. Yeah. You've seen two minutes of the movie, of clips from the movie. Insane. Nick, what do, yeah. what do you think?
3: I I was just gonna say, I think it's like everything else in our society right now. Um I, I think about it like think about it like journalism, right? um how much of the news that is produced quote-unquote news wherever you're consuming it either side right um how much of it is actually journalism right movie criticism is for the most part the way that we're consuming it not true movie criticism right like if you're going to the new york times to read it and there are movie critics um who have a 20-year career um that that's probably more of like the traditional movie criticism that I would associate with that term. And so to Spencer's point, it's the way that I've figured out how to navigate this digital landscape is to curate voices and find people who you like find value in their opinion. People who are, um, you know, people who you, you identify with um, to find, you know, funny if you're after, reading funny reviews or people who you know are uh, more experts or who have a long career in what you're trying to read um, So you know just just find the voices that you find value in and and you know go with that if, if you love getting super angry about movies, you know that's that's your thing go go do it. if you don't as much, then avoid those voices and find those that you can agree with. So uh, or maybe not even agree with, but just find value in.
0: I'm going to lift stuff. There's uh, these are a few people on Letterboxd that I just like to listen to. And that's David Ehrlich, Jordan Beaumont Anderson, U3, (laughs) TC. Uh, Those are those are the those are the people that I like to listen to. Not even Becky. And Becky, of course.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
0: my my gosh. Becky Becky's are always very fun to read. So that's what I I was kind of curious about that. I think, Tim, you nailed it. It's like it's it is a. It's for clicks and for views, and that's what it's been reduced to now. So you're just trying to get the headlines, which is is what it is. Now, Spencer, the Marvel Movie Minute, and this is what we have determined. The Marvel Movie Minute is Spencer's going to watch a random minute from the most recent streaming like free streaming on Disney plus Marvel movie, which is Ant-Man Quantumania. I did a random number number generator and he had to watch for a minute 96 to 97 Spencer. What is your uh, Marvel movie minute rank? You have 30 seconds. Ironic. Cause it's not a full minute.
2: I forgot to do it because I was playing Zelda. That's my Marvel minute. I'm so sorry. Oh no. <laughs> That's actually what it should be is every
0: month it's like, okay, what's your Marvel movie minute? And then you talk about your excuse of why you didn't watch the most recent minute of a Marvel movie.
1: Yeah, we're going to have to cut this out to make it a regular bit. Like, <laughs> and as we go, the excuses get worse and
2: worse. Oh like, my god! I was eating dinner. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't watch anything this month. I watched zero TV this month. So sorry. <laughs> yeah, Spencer has not watched a movie every day okay no, no, no.
0: <laughs> okay that's great so we've been able to get into like a little bit of some of our movie thoughts this is this is our kind of dive in deep now we're going to talk about Charlie Kaufman spike Jonze's adaptation get a nice little mini review before we start going over Wes Anderson's career adaptation is an adaptation of uh the Orchid what is it called the um the Orchid Hunter Orchid thief I think the Orchid thief it Kind of, yeah, The Orchid Thief by Susan Orlean, written by Charlie Kaufman, um, starring Nicolas Cage, Meryl Streep, Chris Cooper, Tilda Swinton, um, amongst others, written by Charlie Kaufman, directed by Spike Jones, And Nicolas Cage plays Charlie Kaufman and his twin brother, Donald Kaufman, and chronicling after Charlie Kaufman wrote, um, being John Malkovich, trying to figure out how to adapt The Orchid Thief while playing himself and orchestrating himself into the plot of this, and adapting the orchid thief while writing this film, it's it's the it's one of the most meta things. But it doesn't feel pretentious. It is so much fun. The characters are great, and I'm going to say this right now: Spike Jones and Charlie Kaufman. It's the Shaq Kobe of the NBA just just ah. absolutely heavy hitters great <laughs> fun movies like we, we gotta get these guys back in the lab again so that they can like work together workshop another insane idea adaptation i was dying laughing in so many parts of this uh nicholas cage playing the same character in donald and charlie like two totally different people but they're so lovable and they make totally different characters um Adaptation was great. Came out in 2002. What do you all think of adaptation?
2: I really liked it. it. Yeah. It's awesome. And I, I like that it dives into the concept of adaptation because I think it's one of the most interesting aspects of storytelling. And so I love that there's a movie that's just like, look how weird this is. Let's go into the mindset of trying to actually do it. Sorry, and it's funny
0: you. how they have Brian Cox playing an actual like screen like like screenwriter, like coach, basically, who's a real guy. Cause I think I've like seen and read parts of his book too. I was like, but I feel like I recognize this book and it's because it's a real book.
1: <laughs> That's funny. I didn't realize that. I think the only fictional thing from this whole thing was the fact that Charlie Kaufman does not have a twin brother in <laughs> real life. I wouldn't have had to look that up. I got so like wrapped up in what's real and what's not.
0: <laughs> and the fact that the very end of the movie, well, I don't want to, it's spoilers for a 21 year old movie. Um, it's like dedicated to my brother, Donald. And I even too, I was like, he's not real. Right. But, yeah. Like I had to <laughs> do a quick Google, like a Google search just to make sure. Uh, Nick, yeah. what do we think of adaptation?
3: Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it I think you, you put it really well. It's like it's, being meta is such a thing now that like it it's almost it's it's really difficult to do well anymore, I think. But this is from 2002 and it is I don't know. I, I feel bad talking about it all at all because I went into it knowing absolutely nothing about it. And I feel like that's the right way to see it because mm-hmm. then it's just these series of small realizations of like, wait, this is just like a inception dream where everything starts collapsing in on itself. And it's just this really fun world that gets built out where you're like, kind of like Tim was saying, what is happening? What is real? Where are we? And then it hits the third act and it's just like, <laughs> everything <laughs> it, hits the wall. It, it's just
1: like, it hits the third act right when the screenwriter guru says you need a high stakes third act and then it just it just turns into a high stakes third act immediately like so it's like
3: that kind of stuff that is just it's so fun um that said I don't know that I'll I'll probably watch it again someday but it's not really a classic in that sense it's just kind of like I feel like one you got to see one that's kind of a, a quirky artifact of um Kaufman's career that's just you know, something you have to experience and something that's enjoyable to experience, but I don't know that I'll go back to it very often.
0: It's uh he's also written Synecdoche, New York, Anomalisa. Um uh what is it? I think I should
2: no, it's not I think I should he, leave. I think I'm thinking of ending I'm things. I'm thinking
0: of ending things. I yeah. always get those mixed up. They're both by Netflix too. And uh, he wrote Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um, I, I like reading the response from Susan Orlean, who is the author of The Orchid Thief. In 2012, she was interviewed and said, reading the screenplay was a complete shock. My first reaction was, absolutely not. They had to get my permission and I just said, no, are you kidding? This is going to ruin my career. So- Um, I think that's a great blurb to get you interested in thinking what the heck could have possibly ruined her career from this film. Um, I just think that Spike Jones's direction, he's always, he's made so many interesting directing choices, you know, from where the wild things are to her being John Malkovich, um, the, the Beastie Boys documentaries. uh, He's one of the executive producers of Jackass. He's such an interesting guy. And then he's like the funniest part of Babylon too. So, um definitely check out adaptation. Our next one is ran. It took me three months to watch this one, even though I probably watched 50 movies in between, but uh ran is coming up. Akira Kurosawa's masterpiece um, from the eighties. And was it his last film or one of his last films?
3: It wasn't his last, but his later yeah. stage,
0: it's a later stage Kurosawa film, but definitely, know, amongst considered one of his classics. So adaptation for me gets an a suite borderline a plus sweet i think i might bump it up to an a plus sweet it is it's just absolutely a blast any ratings from y'all about it
2: sweet. i give it an a but i think it's more uh sour yeah you know oh yeah okay yeah i can see that because it's like the for the for us it's like this is the kind of stuff we think about and we love it but i think for uh general movie people it's uh yeah what is, what anyone
1: is... anyone who saw Transformers: Rise of the Beast on opening weekend can probably skip adaptation. <laughs> That'll be my bar for everything.
0: <laughs> Jokes on you! There was no one in our theater for it, so I guess no one's gonna go watch this. <laughs> it movie. made like
1: 120 million or something. I don't I don't know a single person who saw it, and oh, it still made 120 either. million. Well, you—I know you saw it because you see everything. But like, I don't know a single like casual moviegoer, and it—it it made enough money to get automatically greenlit for a sequel. Like, how? The it- fact we had to wait for Doom Part Two to get a green light for like a month, and Transformers gets it in a week is a sad state of the movie world. It's
0: a, it's the China money. I think it even like, yeah, it out fast (laughs) X, I think for like best opening weekend this year. And that's how the Michael Bay ones, as they got horrible near the end. Those last two, they made a billion dollars because of China. Like, I think they barely made like three, 400 million here, but like China had made like that much plus a little bit more. So, um, yeah, there you go. Uh, doesn't matter if you go see these movies, China will, and you'll keep getting more of them. So Maybe just stay home. Okay. Now it is time to get into our Wes Anderson uh, rankings plus thoughts. Okay. I'm going to, I'm not going to lie to you. I got like halfway through the life aquatic with Steve Zissou last night, almost finished with it. And I just, I got, uh, I, it was one in the morning and I, I couldn't do it. Couldn't push through. So I have nine of the 10. Uh, I have them ranked out and maybe we can give some thoughts about Wes Anderson. Um, he is from, I believe I know he's from Texas. I've got a shirt for him um, from and after that, I've got a hat about some of his movies, got his start with, with uh, Owen Wilson and with his brother, uh, Luke Wilson. They helped write the film bottle rocket. Yeah, you know, he was born in Houston, Texas. Um, and it basically, his next film from, from Bottle Rocket was Rushmore. And then he ended up getting the Royal Tenenbaums as his third movie um, going into the Life Aquatic, uh, Darjeeling Limited, Moonrise Kingdom, Fantastic Mr. Fox, tons of movies. He's made 10 movies. Um, let's kind of get a little bit of some thoughts on Wes Anderson for me, as I've always noticed that his movies have some sort of sense of bringing people together around a big secret, getting people to work together who might be at odds against each other and how to make sure that those plans can come to realization and finding commonalities in diverse groups. Of, well, I wouldn't say diverse groups of people. I would just say groups of people. Um, we'll give, give some brief thoughts real quickly from y'all about Wes Anderson before we uh, go into our uh, ranking and pitches for movie ideas for a film he could make.
1: He's on my short list of directors of like if a new movie is coming out by him, I will go see it.
0: Okay I th- that's very that's a that's a great thought that that's that's a pretty great one. What about y'all?
3: um say what you will about Disney Worlds and I know Tim is here so I have to be careful about what I say but um it's a 10 out of 10 experience because they put everything that they have into the project. And Wes Anderson it falls in that exact same category to me. Um, I, I think like he's he's a creative who isn't quite as, um, I don't know the right word, but he's not Kubrickian where he's just like no one ever wants to see him again after a project is done and they go home crying. And But like he maintains that control and that creative vision over his projects and executes them in a way that just brings this like joy excuse me, joy and whimsy into what he puts onto the screen that um, I, I think, obviously, I, I feel like most people just say, yeah, I, re- I really like him. And it's like, a, um, I, I feel like he's kind of entered the category of like the Nolans who are, you know, your average person's favorite director. Um, just because of that, that experience, you, you know you're going to go have a good time. You know that you're going to... Uh, you you know what you're going to see usually because it is Wes Anderson and you know the style that's going to be put on the screen in front of you but it's it's so joy-filled usually or um, just just really thought-provoking in a way that still elicits some joy and some gratitude for what you have um, that that I I think anyone can access it and walk away um, feeling uplifted which is um, not something that you can usually do uh, when you when you go to the movies like something you can rely on necessarily so
2: cool well
0: said i uh his his films have been nominated for 15 academy awards uh the grand budapest hotel receiving the most at nine nominations winning four he has not ever won a best director nomination though so, uh he's been nominated for screenplay and director quite a few times but has never actually won um even up to receiving best animated feature nominations not winning. Um when it comes to Wes Anderson films, this is kind of my I'm, I'm just throwing Life Aquatic at the bottom. Next week I'll have seen it when we review Asteroid City. Um and then I have Bottle Rocket being my least favorite, Rushmore, Darjeeling Limited, then Grand Budapest Hotel at number 6. Um Spencer well, what is yours and this is the thing about Wes Anderson is I have kind of found that I I am agreeing I agree with Nick that I think his movies are really interesting and I want to see all of them. I also agree that they are just not for me but I think they're interesting enough that I gotta see him
2: uh I he's one of the first directors where I was like, oh that's like what a director does um growing mm-hmm. up so, I, you kind of listed most of my bottom five as well, except Rushmore. I like quite a bit. And also Grand Budapest is number two for me. Um, I'm just going to hit my top five. Uh, I love Rushmore. Um, Royal Tenenbaums. I feel like that's kind of a lot of people. That's kind of like his movie, his number one, but it's really good. I feel like fantastic. Mr. Fox. That's my number three. I feel like that's maybe his most popular or accessible movie. That's the one most people have seen. Um, I have Grand Budapest at two and Moonrise Kingdom is my favorite because that was a moment where I was like, I think that was a movie that kind of helped me discover like what I loved about movies. And so it has like that special place for me. Also, I think it's just really good in general.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Weird color grade, but still a great film.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Nick, what are your top five? Or if you want to rank all of them all at once, let's do that.
2: I, I can go
3: all the way through um I my my number 10 is Darjeeling unlimited or limited um because I think there needs to be like a superhero movie of those three Darjeeling unlimited that <laughs> um, Darjeeling limited because he I think for me he took a few steps back with that one um so I I have bottle rocket over it because it's such a fun debut um for what it is um then i have life aquatic at number eight moonrise kingdom at number seven rushmore at number six um isle of dogs at five french dispatch at four grand budapest at three fantastic mr fox at number two and i firmly firmly believe that that is the most quotable movie that has ever been made literally every <laughs> line in that movie could be on a t-shirt Um, and then for number one, I have Royal Tenenbaums. Um, that one for me is just, it's this perfect combination of what he does so well and that it's, you know, it's still early enough in his career where his, his visual style hasn't completely taken everything over. Like it it still exists in the real world. Um, and it's a portrayal of a complex family with some heaven or heavy moments of melancholy that I think, um, is, is something that he does very well. Like he, Everything's a little silly, whimsical, like, like I was saying. Um, but when he delivers a story that you know spends some time really examining that human experience and and living in melancholy, I think that's when he's at his most powerful. So I, I really like Royal Ten Bombs. It, it's my favorite. And and quickly, I, I think that's one of the other things that I love about him so much. Is like everyone has a, a different favorite just because they all speak in a in a different way. So
1: Jim, what are you what are your what are your top five? Yeah, I'll hit my top five. I'm missing a few of them. I think I have six on my list um, just because I haven't heard very many good things about Life Aquatic. So I just don't really have a desire to see. It. I think it's really funny so far. So I I really like okay. it. Um, well, my top five is Isle of Dogs. And then Royal Tenenbaums is four. Grand Budapest is three. And then I have Moonrise Kingdom at two because I feel like the humor is most like Fantastic Mr. Fox, which is like my clear number one. Heck yeah. Great. That's in my top four on Letterboxd, actually. Yeah, it is. So,
0: yeah. So my five is Isle of Dogs. Number four is French Dispatch. That that one's like really shot up for me in recent memory. Um, three is Mr. Fox, two is Moonrise Kingdom the number 1 baby royal Tenenbaums bombs is one of my favorite watches of last year and i agree with that it's it. just it's it's right right before he starts lean even though it's his third film it just combines everything i love about him in one movie gene hackman the the cast is just freaking incredible it's so good so um we would love to do our movie pitches but it looks like we're kind of running out of
2: time at this point i got i have the perfect one we don't need okay. any other one Perfect. Uh, <laughs> if you need to bow out, you can. I'll leave mine so for the end. Let me let me give you mine real quick and then I'm going to drop out. Uh there has been some drama behind the scenes of a certain production involving one of my favorite actors, Mahershala Ali. Uh the MCU recently fired a director from the Blade movie. Again? Oh, do they do they have one now? I don't know. I know they did it at least once. But uh yes. anyway, I can't think of a more perfect person to direct a movie about a black vampire hunter gosh. than Wes Anderson. Okay. <laughs> and with that, I'm going to drop the mic. Stay sweet, everyone. Sweet. Thank you, Spencer. Bye, Spencer.
3: <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm just trying to imagine that like my... clubbing scene from Blade where right. like all the vampires start dying and just directed by Wes Anderson.
0: I just know that he would have a really awesome dolly scene. Like another thing that I really yeah. love about his movies is his dolly shots are so long that he would have this really quirky hallway dolly fight scene, like old boy, but yeah. Wes Anderson style. Okay. Who's I know someone else kind of has to leave soon. I don't remember who it is, uh, but, but let's get into your, um your, your
3: next film pitches. Um, I can go. Um, so, uh, this isn't anything special, but for some reason, I was thinking that um, it would be really fun to see like a. Um, it's clerks, right? Like a clerk style Wes Anderson movie where it's like this grocery store or like corner store, convenience store that has this long history of like esteemed proprietors from back into like you know, there, there's like this founding family in Manhattan when the Dutch settled and they've just like owned it all the way through. And it's just like, you go through the full history of like this, this beautiful grocery store that's, you know, just been the pillar of this community for 300 years. And then it just like comes into modernity and there's just like these two dudes just standing there. They're just, it's like totally broken down. And, and the movie's all about them crafting um, a, a plan to reassert themselves at the, at the top of the Manhattan social scene
0: starring Owen Wilson and Jason Schwartzman.
3: Yes.
1: The grand Budapest grocery store. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, I want, I want to go next Tim. Do you, do you have to go be anywhere or can I, can I get mine next?
1: No, you can go. I I'm love it. Okay.
0: So I, I thought, you know, Moonrise Kingdom, I think is very interesting that he works with so many children actors in that one, especially like banger chil- child actors like Lucas Hedges, really early uh, performance from him and some other great performances. And then, you know, he had Tony Revolori and Sersha Ronan in Grand Budapest Hotel. So I thought it would be fun if he directed a film about a, a team of synchronized swimming children, like a young, uh, just group of synchronized divers. And I think it could push him to get some of these, like he likes to use crane shots where like, he can kind of boom up and down with the camera and then dolly shots where he can dolly in and out. So it could be fun of him like filming above water and then booming down to film underneath the water and getting kind of that mix of different, uh, different colors. You can also get like a fun seventies aesthetic and go to an older indoor pool where it kind of has like the tiles up against the wall and on the floor as people walk. I um, mean, he could really design like a great set of these kids learning how to synchronize swim and competing against you know the the big the big team you know for for the synchronized swimming it's like they can kind of this grant band of misfit kids whose parents drop them off during the summer and uh, let's just say that um and 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 Angelica Houston or Tilda Swinton is their coach and that would that would be my pitch for a Wes Anderson film.
3: I like that one a lot. I'd watch that movie.
0: Yeah. Tim, what do you got? What kind of idea do you
1: have? Um, yeah, I wrote it down. So it's about a guy, he works at a college as a janitor, even though he feels like he's smarter than most of the people that go there. And sometimes there's like an equation written on a blackboard, like half an equation, and he'll just like figure <laughs> it out.
2: Um
1: <laughs> Yeah, anyway, his best friend's Ben Affleck. <laughs> Isn't that isn't that from a like a show or or a Step (laughs) Brothers? It's in Step Brothers when he goes to therapy. Sorry. (laughs) Um. Uh. No. I love that you
3: started that by like, yeah, I wrote it down.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I was reading the quote card from uh, IMDb about that exact scene. Anyway, um, my actual pitch is basically. I would have loved if he did I feel like almost every roll doll adaptation is nowhere near he's doing another roll doll adaptation for Netflix. That's like a short film, I think. Yeah, I think it's it's like 40 minutes. Yeah. Um I don't know. I just feel like with Fantastic Mr. Fox, he did such a good job like capturing like the childhood essence of roll doll that like everybody loves. And still made it like accessible to everyday people. Um, so I guess barring how well the Netflix, the Henry Sugar one goes. Um, I don't know, like if he did I feel like even the art style from those old Roll Doll books just like matches his what what's it called? Indian Paint Animation, the animation company he used for Isle of Dogs and Phantasm Mr. Fox. Oh I think that's who it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah I feel like his just like style and aesthetic matches Roald Dahl perfectly I'd love if he like if he did the BFG movie instead of Disney like even if it wasn't animated I feel like he would have captured the essence of Roald Doll better than anybody else I kind of dig that yeah so I, it's well, not like an original idea but just like the Roald doll cinematic universe more of that by Wes Anderson by Wes Anderson.
0: I especially think that honestly, you know, I, I always joke that uh, every director has their BFG because I think the BFG is Steven Spielberg's worst film, uh, which is like saying like anyone would kill to have a movie like the BFG, honestly. But I would be interested in having like a nice little stop motion BFG film by Wes Anderson. It'd be very whimsical and very cute.
1: Yeah. Not to on, Not to dog on Sir Stevie, but I feel like the BFG. I read that book as a kid and really liked it when I was a kid and I I didn't leave the theater being like, "Yeah, that was an adaptation of the book I loved as a kid." I don't know.
0: Yeah. Let's give him a shot. Let's give him let's give him a stab at it. Okay, this was a great great little time, a nice way to be able to kind of bring the audience into Wes Anderson, get them ready for Asteroid City that expands into wide release next week. Um Great movies coming up. Next take, we're gonna be reviewing Asteroid City and The Flash, which I've seen. And I saw like, gosh. Again, I think I said it last take. I don't think I've ever seen a movie have so many early screenings than The Flash. So kinda I really enjoyed it. I know people have enjoyed it. It seems very mixed. Like people either really like it or they freaking hate it. And uh I really enjoyed it. I know there's flaws to it, but I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun. So um, thank you again, Fun Movie Club, for being here. Nick and Tim TC, miss you. Uh, Becky, love you. And as always, everyone, please stay sweet. Sweet. Okay. (laughs)